You know, when I first did the podcast, I had a much better intro than I have now. But you know what? We're just going to go straight into it. Welcome to the Full Contact Podcast starring Sharif Phillips-Keaton. Yes, I said starring, but also starring, as always, Nick Sapina. And sometimes when we can get him on his busy schedule, the third member of our Full Contact Podcast team, Brian Clegg. Brian, how you feeling tonight, my man? He's so thrilled. He's so enthralled (laughs) to be here with us that he's speechless. I'm so speechless. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I'm not even here. Are you going to tell us how you feel, Brian, or or what's going on? I don't know. I feel like I wasted all my energy on the first intro. Boy, uh, when when you put it that way. I think you had too many sips of that Bud Light, my guy. Bud Light. But you know what, <laughs> Nick? How are you feeling, man? You just got the, you just got the shot. How's it going, man? Uh, doing pretty well, Sharif. Um, unfortunately, we actually tried to record this podcast, and we got about six minutes in in our first recording, and then our software just pooped out on us. So. For everybody listening, I need you to understand that we had an in-depth conversation about the naming of Oral Roberts University, who took down Ohio State, a huge upset, and I need everybody at home to know that I am affectionately calling them Mouthy Bob. <laughs> and you know what? Just want to say... We do have a jam-packed show for you, and I promise that's going to be the last time you hear Mouthy Bob. We're going to talk about free agency tonight. Free agency, which it seems like 80% of the NFL is in free agency because all I see on my on my uh, notifications panel is this guy says a one-year deal, that guy signs a one-year deal, this guy signs for like $5 million. Juju signs for $8 million after holding out. Not holding out, but you know, waiting for the best deal. But before we get into all that, and I said this in the first recording, but I just got to say it again. Nick, because we appreciate you holding down the quick hitter segment so much. And before we get into what I have to say, apparently Brian has something I have to, to go. say. Brian, I'm what's delayed. up, my man? <laughs> Actually, that was pretty good. Why don't I stay on for right now? I got to get off. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, we just gonna have to work through this technology, my guy. Well, if you insist, Bri. Thanks for well, joining us. Yeah, we appreciate your your three minutes and thirty seconds. All right, I'll see you. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay, are you gonna leave or come on? Okay. All right, he's gone now. So as I was saying, <laughs> you know, we really wanted Brian to be on this pot. Well, really, Brian wanted to be on this episode. And apparently he just can't handle what's about to happen, which is me talking about Carson Wentz. And it just might be a rant, but I really wanted Brian to be here, but that's okay. It's going to happen either way. So for those of you who may not know, new Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz addressed the media for the first time since... I guess the last time he started, he finished a game for the Eagles, which was about 100 days ago, according to uh, Marcus Hayes of the Philadelphia Inquirer. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, this has nothing to do with free agency, by the way. But this is just me. I just had to get some stuff off my chest. So we've talked about Carson Wentz multiple times. As Nick is probably tired of just talking about Carson Wentz in general, as am I. But just when you think you're out, Carson Wentz just pulls you back in and you just have to talk about him. What am I talking about? So in his press conference, now most of it was pretty much, I don't want to say PC talk, but it was pretty much like the general stuff you say. He basically talked about how Philly, it wasn't fun before he was traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, he said a lot more than that, but 
I mean, there were just certain things he said that I'm sorry. I I just have to say what I believe he left out, which is fair. Now, I want to read this quote. So he says, quote, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It wasn't fun. It's not fun when things were going well for years and all those things. As a man, you have to look yourself in the mirror and learn from it and become a better man, better player. It wasn't fun. It was difficult, but I did everything I could to be supportive of Jalen Hurts and my teammates. Well, he said Jalen, and obviously you got to put Hurts in there just because there was a Jalen Mills on the team at the time. So now that quote, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. Did we not get a report from Adam Schefter days before uh, Jalen Hurts' first start, which I believe was week 13 against the Saints, if I'm not mistaken? Did we not get a report saying that Carson Wentz did not support or did not want to be on the team if he was going to be a backup? Now, that's a hypo- or that's a hypo- hypothetical. The hell is that word? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that. Not until I'm done. Okay. The answer to the question is he was, I'm sorry, he was not a good teammate to Jalen Hurts. Now, he may have been a good teammate to most players on the team, at least if you listen to guys like um, Brandon Graham, Zach Ertz, you know, the like. And, I mean, I'm not saying they're liars. All I know is we didn't even hear reports considering talking about Carson Wentz until he got benched and we knew for sure Jalen Hurst was a starter, which, as Ryan pointed out pre-show, that Doug Peterson had a way of letting us know midway through the week, and that's no way to treat your starting quarterback. All that is correct, and I take it. But I'm sorry. he can't. Carson Wentz cannot sit up there and pretend for a second he was a good teammate to Jalen Hurts because he wasn't. He lost his job. Carson Wentz lost his job fair and square because he played awful. And sure, would anybody be happy that they got benched? No. But I think it's the circumstance surrounding basically, like I've said this before, if he played like Ryan Fitzpatrick and was benched, you can have all the righteous energy you want to have because you should have never been benched because you were playing well. Carson Wentz was playing the opposite of well. So he should have been benched and what he should have done, or at least in my opinion, what would have came across as having character was trying to do what you can to get back in the good graces of, at the very least, the person who benched you, the head coach. Now, obviously, Philadelphia and probably the surrounding states have their opinions of Doug Peterson, and that's fine. We just know what happened after Carson Wentz was benched. And there's just one other thing, and then, Nick, I'll give it back to you. So this was another quote that I wanted to talk about. He Carson once said, quote, I've learned you're not going to make everybody happy. As much as you want to, you can't. It's unfortunate people have those opinions, opinions that he wasn't a good teammate in Philadelphia. I'm going to learn from it and try to be a, the best teammate I can be. If there are teammates who don't, who I don't think yeah, this was definitely written. Who don't think I was the best teammate? I apologize. I wish I could be better. Last year was tough for everybody. Now I don't know about you, Nick. To me, that's another one of those just empty statements. To me, like sure, he basically—it's almost like when people say, "I'm sorry if I offended anyone." Like you're—you're you're not saying anything. You're just saying something that makes that sounds good if no one's paying attention to you. The point is, I think Carson Wentz is full of crap, and I used worse words in our first take, but I don't have the time for that. I think Carson Wentz is full of crap, and until he doesn't talk like he's full of crap, I, I'm i sorry. I just have no, I have no reason to support the guy. Nick, floor is yours if you want to say anything, but I know you're tired of something. <clears throat> okay. So just for everybody listening, I need everybody to understand that Shreve, I mean, you admitted it on our first recording that you do have a stance on Carson Wentz. Like, you already kind of have an opinion and a little bit of a bias. And I'm not calling you out on that, but it's important to note just because, I mean, you have yours, I have mine, and shoot, 
Brian, who isn't here anymore, does have his. And he's he feels even a little bit more strongly about Carson Wentz than I do. But um, I do think that that context is important. Now, I, I give a little more credence to your first argument because uh, the quote about, you know, I kind of started to feel like maybe this wasn't it uh, during the Green Bay game when I was benched. Uh, I, I felt like that quote was a little weak. I, I thought that that one in particular gave off the impression that, man, if, if I'm going to get benched, whether it was my fault or not, uh, this isn't for me. I'm not going to play to the competition. I'm not trying to compete or anything like that. I think that I am the starting quarterback and that should never change. I didn't like that comment. Apart from that, I thought that the majority of his uh, press conference went well. And this was not your run-of-the-mill introductory press conference. This was one where they were actually hitting him with some hard questions. You know, they didn't just lob up the softballs and say, Carson, uh, can you tell us what it means to be an Indianapolis Colt? What attracted you to the organization and all this stuff? They were asking him the heavy hitters. Um, you know, Carson, there's reports about, you know, there were teammates in Philadelphia who didn't necessarily see eye to eye with you. How how do you handle that and all this stuff? And I'll be honest, I thought that his answer was accurate. Like, you'd be hard-pressed to find a quarterback or any player who 52 other people in the locker room are big fans of. Now... I think that uh, it became pretty well known that there was somebody in the Eagles locker room who was not a fan of Carson Wentz. And many people would speculate that that was Alshon Jeffrey. Who really knows? Uh, when you have that, I mean, you you can't make it something that it isn't. You know what I mean? And I think that Carson Wentz kind of alluded to that. And he's like, look, I'm going to be the best teammate I can be. And, you know, it, it, it's true. Like, Shreef, you know, as well as I do in your personal life, you can be as good a person to someone and they, they're not necessarily going to like you. And that is life. So I, I kind of give that argument a little bit less leeway. I don't think that there's necessarily a character judgment that I should make based on that. Um, and at the same time, you know that there were tons of teammates who did love Carson Wentz. You know, you think about the Lane Johnsons and uh, the Jason Kelseys. And I mean, shoot, even the first year or two, Alshon Jeffrey was going to Sixers games with Carson Wentz. He was staying at Wentz's house in the summer and they were getting working and all this stuff. So stuff happens. You're not going to be cool with everybody all the time. I don't care. So the other thing that I tried to do when I listened to this press conference like 25 minutes long. I wanted to see basically how did the Indianapolis reporters, how did people of Indianapolis feel about it? And I mean, there were definitely some opinions where some people felt like he didn't take enough ownership, but the general consensus among the reporters was that this was a guy who came and he was asked the hard questions. Like I said, and he answered them honestly and he maybe he didn't own up to as much as you would like or as much as some people would like, but he did admit that he needed to be better and that he needed to try to be a better teammate and all this stuff. So in general, I thought it went well. I, I will continue to believe that you're a little bit overly harsh on Carson Wentz, and I'm sure that you'll think that I'm a little bit soft on Carson Wentz, so that's fine. We can definitely disagree on it, but um, I am excited for him to get a fresh start in Indianapolis. I think that it's a good pairing. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I stand on the Carson Wentz uh, introductory press conference. Fair enough. And I will admit, and I mean, you, I said it on the first podcast and I'll say it on this one. So it's not like you're putting it out there. I do have a bias against Carson Wentz and I admit that. And I think it's fine to admit you have a bias. And it's especially in this case, 
Yeah. And I mean, so for those of you listening to me, just remember, I have a bias against Carson Wentz because I have my idea of how a a franchise quarterback I would be willing to get behind should have handled that entire situation. And sure, Carson Wentz, and I mean, Nick has admitted it. Everybody's admitted it. He could have handled it better and no one's going to be perfect. So I admit, I admit that as well. I'm not expecting Carson Wentz to be perfect or anyone in that situation. I I guess I just know or I have a good feeling of what the truth is, and that's not what's coming out in its entirety. Now, should it from Carson Wentz? No, because it doesn't serve him well to, like you say, if he – especially if he doesn't feel like – and granted, not all of what happened with the Eagles last year is his fault, and nor should he say that because – Again, that would be, you know, the quarterbacks get too much blame. They get too much of their credit. It's not all on him. My thing is, and this will be my last thing, and I promise we'll move on. The whole thing of him saying that he's a competitor, that's also where, and I don't have the actual full quote, but that did come out of his mouth. And I will say, I call 100% BS on that. Because in my opinion, a competitor would have stayed in Philly and show the Eagles and the fan base who the better quarterback is. It should, and I'll admit this, it should be Carson Wentz. And it's even more to the point about when it comes to, because like even Nick, we've talked about it and like various people when they're trying to compare what Jalen Hurts did. Jalen Hurts was not supposed to go in there and be the second coming of Andrew Luck or something. He was a second round draft pick who for some reason was drafted to the Eagles when they had their guy. And obviously that's kind of how it started. And he was just supposed to be in there and provide a different energy, which he did. He provided a different energy that the team responded to. Now he did not, if you look at the numbers, produce much better than Carson. I admit that. But in my opinion, he wasn't supposed to because Carson Wentz is he, hell, he should have won an MVP in this league. Jalen Hurts is nowhere near that just yet. So I think if you're going to compare them like apples to apples, it's not because Carson Wentz should have been much better than he was this past season. At the end of the day, you know, happy for him. He goes to a situation he feels comfortable in. I just hope Frank Reich doesn't ruffle his feathers because the same thing might happen to the Colts. Who knows? Yeah, that's fair. And I will say one thing that, you know, if, if you're a Philly fan, you have kind of been exposed to this. But isn't it weird that Nick, you know, Carson Wentz gets hurt and Nick Foles comes in and the team rallies around him and actually – continues to play well or the next season Carson Wentz gets hurt goes down Nick Foles comes in rallies the team they make the playoffs and then I I believe that the Eagles were one in three in the games that Jalen Hurts started but to your point we agree that at least on paper what should be Carson Wentz should be the superior player to Jalen Hurts, right? But Jalen Hurts came in, and I'm not talking about Jalen Hurts, but the Eagles played better when Jalen Hurts was on the field. And there is something right. weird about that, and I I can't pretend to have an answer. I can't even pretend to fathom what the reason could be. It's very odd. It's this weird phenomenon that we've witnessed in Philadelphia over the past, like, four seasons, but it is odd. And uh, you would wish that that wasn't the case from a guy who's supposed to be your franchise quarterback. Right. And with that being said, um, I've said my piece on it, hopefully for the last time, but I can't promise it just yet. But for what all of you actually came here for, we are actually going to talk about, and that's NFL free agency time. We previously talked about the franchise tag, but now it's like full-blown free agency that we're talking about. 
just to lead off the subject, since, like I said, pretty much every guy is getting signed to a one-year deal this offseason, apparently. Nick, what was one of the free agent moves in your mind that you wanted to discuss? Well, shoot. There's a whole lot, Sharif. And I, I do want to actually, even before we get into anything specific, I just want to talk real quick about why this offseason is so weird and why these free agency moves are one-year deals and what's going on exactly. So for everybody out there who isn't like, you know, married to the cap or over the cap.com or whatever you want to say, however you get your NFL cap space information, the NFL salary cap was projected to lose money this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And what that kind of did was it pinched a lot of teams who had tons of pre-existing contracts that took up a lot of cap space in the 2021 season. So uh, teams have been doing a lot to get under the cap and kind of the effect of this is that the free agents who are going out right now aren't getting their fair market value. They aren't getting what they would have gotten last year. They're not getting what they would get next year when a new TV deal comes in. So a lot of free agents are kind of looking at themselves and they're like, all right, if I can get one year, maybe on less than I'm worth, I'll try to cash in next year. So Sharif, that's why we're seeing a lot of these short deals, like one-year deals, like what Juju Smith-Schuster signed. Um, I believe what Will Fuller signed and, you know, even some two-year deals. So that's why we're seeing a lot of those, Sharif. Does that make sense? Oh, that, ma- that makes perfect sense. All right, cool. So the last time something like this happened was in 1996, and I don't know the full history behind it, but this is uh, sort of a weird phenomenon. But Sharif, I'm going to start jumping into free agency, and I'm not going to start with a player per se, but I have to start with a team that I think has made the biggest splash And that's the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots have kind of become notorious for not spending in free agency. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit misleading because they have, they have spent uh, in free agency over the past 10 years, but they've really blown the doors off this off season. Sharif, they've got guys like Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, the, the top two tight ends in free agency, Nelson Aguilar, who, Whatever your opinion of him is, they got him. Uh, They re-signed David Andrews and a whole host of other moves that I don't even have the whole list for. Um, Shreve, what were your thoughts of the New England Patriots free agency acquisitions? So, I thought some of them were good. And I will say, looking at the total number of free agents that were actually signed, I would say the Patriots, even though obviously most people disagree with the method, if that's a way to put it, the the nature of how they're spending a free agency, when you can get guys like Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, as you said, Hunter Henry, uh, John Smith, Matthew Judon, Ted Karras, and they brought back Kyle Van Noy, and they were able to re-sign Cam Newton to obviously not a $1.5 million deal, but it's still pretty cheap to starting quarterback standards. It was like $14.5 million in total. Dirt but cheap. I think his – right. And his base – I think his base value is like, what, 5.5, 6.5? So – and I mean, the incentives are described as – unattainable or basically unattainable. So they're basically getting a starting quarterback for six and a half million dollars or whatever the price is. So I would say as a whole, I love their free agent class and they address some needs. Obviously the Patriots need anyone with a pulse to catch the ball. Cause apparently whoever is a wide receiver or a tight end for the Patriots the past couple of years, either don't have a pulse or can't catch the ball or both. I don't know. 
But from like Nikhil Harry, I mean, the only person um, is a former quarterback who now plays wide receiver and his name is escaping me. Jacoby um, Myers. Jacoby Myers. But like outside of him, no one else made an impact for two years. Julian Edelman is, as we've already known, a shell of his former self. Now he, he doesn't even play. So my initial reaction to their free agent class, I love it. And I think it's underrated. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I feel like everything that they did made a lot of sense for Cam Newton. Like you think about what Cam Newton's strengths are at this point in his career. And, you know, you think about what he did in Carolina. He was a, he was a total quarterback. Now, was he inaccurate? Sure. But could he throw a hell of a deep ball? He could. Like you think about him uh, hooking up with Ted Ginn on long touchdowns and I mean, shoot, it, it was a nice connection. That's not Cam Newton anymore. And they know that Cam Newton is going to pretty much be a short to intermediate thrower. So what do they do? They pretty much say, all right, we'll get one guy who can run a deep route. Nelson Aguilar. Okay. Our primary targets are going to be two tight ends, John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. And I think that that is uh, interesting. I think it's playing to a team's strengths. Um, and I agree. Now, I I have to say, like, one thing. I don't know that Nikhil Harry, and I'm not defending him exactly, because he's been bad. Like, he was a first-round pick wide receiver, and he has not lived up to expectations whatsoever. I am not positive that he has gotten the fairest shake in the NFL because I don't think that the Patriots have played him in a way that is conducive to his play style. Basically in college, he was the quote unquote big slot receiver, which is kind of not a thing in the NFL so much like big guys pretty much play on the perimeter and smaller guys, maybe in the six foot range, pretty much play in the slot. That's a gross generalization. There's people who buck that trend all the time. But Nikhil Harry's 6'4". And the Patriots looked at him in his frame and were like, yeah, you're going to play on the outside. And he hasn't actually gotten to play in his natural position. So I hope that he does get a chance somewhere. But to your point, I mean, it, it has been a great free agency for the Patriots. I think that they are probably my number one team. Uh, like they've moved up the most because of free agency. So. I mean, Bill Belichick, once again, on the move, scheming. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like I said, I think people are just surprised that New England is spending as much money as it is. And, I mean, that is surprising because they rarely go on big shopping sprees, if you will, in free agency. And normally only the really bad teams do it. So this is something unprecedented on multiple levels. Like I said, I think the draft – the draft so far is underrated. And let's not forget, it's not free agency, so we didn't mention it, but they did also trade for Trent Brown to be their left tackle. So that is another thing, which is, like I said, not part of the free agency, so we're not going to count it, but that's just one thing they did achieve. Uh, one of the moves I did want to talk about when it comes to free agency, which I think you know, no one's talking enough about, but it makes sense because of who it involves, is uh, the San Francisco 49ers and left tackle Trent Brown agreeing to a six-year, $138.06 million deal that will make him the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Uh, $55 million in guaranteed money, $30 million signing bonus. I mean... This deal was massive, and I got to say, even though Trent Williams is one of the best, not just left tackles in the league, just one of the best offensive linemen in the league, I just wasn't expecting him to get this kind of money this with the way the cap is now. Nick, what were you, what was your reaction to this this deal? Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about it before. That contract is a little more flexible than it appears on the surface, but if you're just looking at all of the the numbers at face value, yeah, it's surprising. You kind of don't expect anybody to to meet their market value in this current uh, cap space environment. Like you're seeing wide receivers who 
in other seasons might be worth like 20 million a year, maybe a little less are getting like 15. I, I will say Nelson Aguilar seems to be a little overpaid, but that's besides <laughs> the point. Um, so yeah, I was surprised because that contract makes him again, the, the base number that you're seeing, uh, that would be the richest contract that a, an offensive that a offensive lineman has ever received right over David Bakhtiari by literally 10,000. So it is surprising to see a team shell out that kind of money, uh, especially this year, but good for him. He's definitely earned it. Right. And I guess what, like I said, I think it was just the fact, and like you said, and we've pretty much been seeing this, especially with like, we joke about the New Orleans saints. I mean, We've never really seen a, a way where you can pay, you can say, oh, we're going to pay Taysom Hill four years, $140 million. Oh, but just, just so you know, none of that is actually real, but it's going to be considered real just in case we want to pay him the money because all the years avoidable, all this stuff. Like it's, it's like you said, it's like they're basically playing with Monopoly money. We don't know what's real and what's not. <laughs> so all we really know, and I've said this, uh, multiple times is whatever the guy is guaranteed either fully or partially signing bonus, you know, roster bonus, workout bonus, whatever bonuses they have, all of that stuff is what they're going to get. The rest of the stuff, the base salary, it might as well just be counterfeit money until they actually pay you because if they can just void the ears and pretend a contract did happen, but it actually isn't happening unless we make it happen. I mean, who knows? Trent Williams might have just signed a six-year, $55 million deal. We don't know until the time comes. Right. Um, Sharif, I got to tell you, you talking about Monopoly money and you don't know what's real and fake and all this stuff, it just got me thinking, and I'm going to sound real, real immature right now. Real immature. <laughs> but have you ever seen those videos on like Facebook or YouTube or anything like that where it's like somebody will bring out a, a nice juicy steak and then somebody cuts into it and it's cake? Have you ever seen those videos? I think yeah, I've seen I've seen a few, yeah. <laughs> it it just got me thinking about that because it, it literally is like that. Like what is being served to you is not what is actually like there. You know what I mean? And there is a, a stupid little song that goes with it. It's like, now I know what's real and cake. And I'm sorry <laughs> for anybody listening who had to hear that, but um, it just got me thinking, like you don't know what contracts are actually going to stand the test of time and whether they're actually going to live up to the number that is being reported as of right now. Right. And it, it, I mean, like that pretty much paints a perfect picture. Yeah. It's like, what's the stake or what matters is the guaranteed money. And then the cake is just everything else. They wrap up and put in a bow and give it to Adam Schefter or, um, I forget the Ian Rappaport. Rappaport. Yeah. Yeah. Ian Rappaport or someone like that. They give them the cake and what really is the case is the stake that is like, you know, gets two lines. Um, Nick, what was one of the other moves you wanted to get into for free agency? All right, let's see. I have a whole list here. Um, all right. So this is one. And again, it's not exactly a hundred percent pertaining to a player, but what the Raiders have done in free agency, I'm going to be honest. I'm downright baffled uh, on many aspects because they pretty much have, ditched their whole offensive line and that's between trades and free agency. And then at the same time, you think that the Raiders who just two years ago invested a first round pick in Josh Jacobs would be pretty dedicated to making him the bell cow back. He did have a little bit of a disappointing year this year, but they go out and they sign Kenyon Drake, who I know that you're not a fan of, but at the same time, it's like, Kenyon Drake's going to get touches. So I think that what the Raiders have done uh, is classic Raiders. It's uh, self-destructive behavior. And I'm pretty disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, like I, 
I know that Kenyon Drake has a useful skill set. I'm trying to be as political as I can. <laughs> and I'm not even saying – my stance is never that he can't play. My stance has always been he's just not consistent. <clears throat> and, Which I, I and agree with. Right. And for me, it's more of a fantasy football evaluation. And for those of you who are listening to us, you know we have a fantasy football podcast. We've obviously – it's the off season, so we're taking some time off. We will eventually get back to that. But back to the point. As fantasy football players or anyone who plays fantasy sports, anything, the one thing we value or the thing we value more than anything else is consistency. And I'm sorry, Kendrick just doesn't have that, which is fine. His skill set is that where it doesn't matter because he can make a play happen at any moment. That all that is true. I like his addition to this team. I know there are some people who are wondering about their, you know, Josh Jacobs stonks and what's going to happen. And obviously, what happened with the offensive line because they traded Trent Brown released Richie incognito, even though there were reports that he's actually coming back. So I guess he's just basically went through a contract restructure, but they went through the whole farce of actually releasing him and then releasing Gabe Jackson, which like you said, I mean, I actually have been seeing pictures speaking of social media. I've been seeing pictures of like Derek Carr, like I guess they edited out the offensive line and yes. it's just Derek Carr standing there with the ball. And they are like, this is the offensive line for the Raiders in 2021. And it's hilarious because that's essentially what they did. I'm sure they're going to make moves, but I mean, they're not going to get the offensive lineman they already had. So, I mean, yeah, it's been a pretty poor free agent class. I like them adding John Brown, even though it feels like a redundant move when you already have Henry Ruggs. So that's a little concerning. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at some of the added Zay Jones, which doesn't really matter. Denzel Good is an offense, is an underrated move as an offensive tackle. He's, you know, good, not great. And that's pretty much where that goes. Richie Incognito, is still okay. Like he can still play. Um, after that, and obviously King and Drake. Uh, my guy Theo Reddick, Not that that's really going to matter because I believe they still have DeAndre Washington. So I don't know what's going to happen there. That mean maybe that means they won't have DeAndre Washington soon. Um, yeah, I mean their free agent class I think is like the total opposite of Patriots. I don't, I like I don't for the know what they've done. They have, <laughs> Right. For the needs that they have, I don't think they addressed it. If anything, they made what they don't need, now they're actually needs. So now they just added more needs. That feels like the opposite of what you're supposed to do in free agency. Am I right? I think so. At this point, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's real. Um, <laughs> all right. I am going to move this along, though, because I know that there is a certain redheaded quarterback who... I mean, you and I both kind of like, uh, and he has landed with the Chicago Bears as the presumptive starter, at least for a year, and that's Andy Dalton. Um, I want to give a little more context into the situation. Matt Nagy and pretty much everybody on the Bears staff has pretty much been told, dude, (laughs) this is the year. If you don't get it done, you're gone. And uh, it was reported that the Bears made a strong push to trade for Russell Wilson, The Seahawks at the last minute kind of decided, no, we're frustrated with Russ, but we'd rather be frustrated and with Russ than frustrated and without Russ, which is totally fair. And at that moment, the Bears decided, all right, Andy Dalton is the the answer. So, Sharif, what do you think about Andy Dalton in uh, Chicago? I got to say... And I'm not, I promise it's not gonna be a rant, but this is gonna be a mini rant. I don't know when it became a thing that Andy Dalton is not a good quarterback. I don't know where this is coming from. Like, I get it. It's under the guise of he's not Russell Wilson, he's not Deshaun Watson. And granted, that's what this team needs. I'm not gonna lie. Like, they made the playoffs last year at eight and eight. With Andy Dalton, Maybe they'll be ten and six, 
maybe. Like, he's better than Mitchell Trubisky, who I think also is underrated to a certain degree. And he's better than Nick Foles. I acknowledge that. I like I love Andy Dalton. You know, he's I mean, just I guess it's more like fancy football terms. He's QB fifteen. He's your average starting quarterback. And mm-hmm. I think if like, for example, in Dallas's offense, if thing you know, the the concussion and the uh the COVID protocols didn't happen, Andy Dalton's close to being you know, fifteen through eleven. You know, like I think he's, he's a not solid sexy. quarterback. Yeah, he's not sexy, and I mean he'll get the job done up to a certain point. Because I mean, even with Cincinnati, even though he took that more bun franchise to the playoffs his first five years in the league, they always lost in the first round. I acknowledge all that, but I just want to know when did when did Andy Dalton become a bad quarterback? That's what I want to know. That's my reaction to the deal. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that he had one really bad year with the Bengals. And when you say that, like when you actually say that and you hear it back, it's kind of like, all right, he had a bad year with the Bengals. Everyone has a bad year with the <laughs> Bengals. It's a bad organization. Of course, at some point when the Bengals fall apart, so will their quarterback. And to an extent, you'll almost liken it to what happened with Carson Wentz this past year. Sometimes this kind of thing is just brewing and it's going to happen. Right. Whatever. Now, Andy Dalton, people forget, he had one season where he was in the MVP conversation. And I think that the the main reason that he didn't end up seriously contending for it was, I think somewhere around week 11, he might have uh, injured his thumb. He got hurt and his season was cut short. So Andy Dalton has that level of play in him. It's probably like if you think about a bell-shaped curve, that's it's not in the middle. Like it's not the median. <laughs> it, it's definitely uh, to an extreme of his level of play. But he's not a bad quarterback, and I, I think you're right. I think that uh, Allen Robinson signed his franchise tender, which you know that Andy Dalton can target a, a very talented wide receiver of Allen Robinson's caliber. I, I think it's going to be a good move for them. Uh, and obviously it's not even at an expensive price. So I have somewhat high hopes for the bears. Right. And I think with Andy, the move, Andy Dalton one year, $10 million could be worth as much as 13 with incentives. I mean, they kind of had to work with what they had, which was either, Hope that the Seahawks will trade you Russell Wilson. Hope that the Texans will trade you Deshaun Watson. Neither of those were going to happen. Andy Dalton. I mean, I think Andy Dalton being your third choice is pretty good. And I mean, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, so, 100%. So uh, the next player I would like to talk about, because it's it's he's polarizing in a different way. Mostly positive, but it's just he's a very curious player. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster re-signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, for one year, $8 million, I believe. Yes, with a $7 million signing bonus, $1 million <laughs> base salary, and apparently four void years. I didn't even, I'm just reading that just now. Here we go with the void years again. Like, it's a one-year deal. Why is there four void years? Anyway. Um, re-signed with the Steelers. He was, I said, holding out in the first podcast, but that wasn't exactly what he was doing, just waiting for the best offer. And apparently it was reported that he turned down more money from teams like the Eagles so that he could play with the Steelers. So with that being said, Nick, what was your, what is your reaction to the Juju Smith-Schuster re-signing? Yeah, I mean, he, he pretty much did what I was talking about where a player takes a one year deal on less money than they're worth, hoping that they can pretty much have a very nice year and cash in big next year in free agency again. And it's pretty much that simple. And what it comes down to with Juju Smith Schuster is he chose the devil that he knows. And that's Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. Um, Now 
if he had gone to Philadelphia or if he had gone to Baltimore, he might have been the quote-unquote wide receiver one, right? But let's be honest. You don't know what the Philadelphia offense is going to look like. It could it could very well resemble Baltimore. And I'm not even I'm not commenting on Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts as a passer, but what I will say is it's really hard to be a wide receiver one and a dominant alpha receiver like Juju Smith-Schuster, I, I believe, is capable of being. Um, now, there's a little bit of a caveat there because his best years did come with Antonio Brown, who we know in his prime was unreal. But I think that Juju Smith-Schuster sees himself as a potential alpha wide receiver one. Uh, wide receiver one. If he was, if Juju came to Philadelphia or Baltimore, congrats. You get 20% of, you get 20 or 25% of the target share. The problem is they're passing 25 times a game, which is going to get you not enough targets to be productive to get your next big contract, right? One thing you know about Pittsburgh if they don't draft a running back, which I know a lot of people think is a serious possibility, I'm not as sold. And if they don't draft a running back, their running back one is going to be Benny Snell. And, you know, you and I have talked about Benny Snell before. He's not a sexy player. He is a power back. He kind of just is a ho-hum. He goes in, he gets three and a half or four yards, whatever. He's not, he's not great. <laughs> They're what was be it that the you said? <laughs> What's that? What, what was you, what was it you said? Um, it was one of the quotes like, "If you need uh, two yards, he'll get you four. If you need four yards, he'll get you two. Yeah. <laughs> or if you need four yards, he'll get you four. Kind of thing. I think it's yeah. It's like, <laughs> coach, if you need four yards, I'll get you four. Or no, no, no. <laughs> coach, if you need three yards, I'll get you four yards. Coach, if you need five yards, I will get you four yards. It's, <laughs> that's it's what Betty Snell is. Like he, he's not getting anything extra. He's not burning anybody to the end zone. And he when you have that kind of running, him. sorry. Yeah. He gets what's blocked for him. Exactly. And when you have that kind of running back, you know what you do? You pass. Because it's better than running. And I think that Juju Smith-Schuster knows that. And even if they do draft a running back, Pittsburgh's a team that wants to throw the ball. I think that Ben Roethlisberger still feels like he has something to prove, that he has overcome this injury, that he can still play. And Juju being the slot wide receiver, I mean, he's the prime uh, primary beneficiary of Ben Roethlisberger really not being able to push the ball down the field uh, to the level that he could when he was younger. Let's just say if you're uh, someone like, I don't know, say Brian Clegg and you traded for Ben Roethlisberger in a dynasty super flex league with uh, yours truly, uh, you're hoping he can uh, overcome the elbow injury and have a bounce back year. Otherwise, <laughs> Brian, thank you for the second and third round. <laughs> um, Nick, you do you have another player you want to talk about? Or another team, rather. You know, I, I did, and I kind of lost it. Let me, let me. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. There it is. Okay. So, we have to be very careful about talking about this one because you want to evaluate it from a football perspective. But Sharif, you and I both know. There's some stuff going on about Deshaun Watson personally, and I don't know that we are necessarily equipped to talk about that. I mean, truth is, we just don't know the answers. And, uh, you know, we want to make very clear that uh, we are not trying to silence any voices or anything like that. Any anytime uh, sexual, sexual uh, excuse me. Sexual assault accusation is made. It's very serious and it needs to be considered. So uh, we're not going to weigh in too much on that. But even despite all of those rumors, it's still rumored that teams are interested in Deshaun Watson. And it does seem more and more likely that Deshaun Watson has played his last game as a Houston Texan at the very least. Who knows what the what the future holds for him? 
But that's where we stand right now. And the Houston Texans have made, well, some really weird moves. But they've gone and they've gotten Tyrod Taylor, a, pl- a player that you're a big fan of. And then they've also signed a ton of weird running backs who I can't totally see how they all fit together. And Sharif, keeping all that in mind, and you know that is a lot to digest. <clears throat> Excuse me. What do you make of the Texans' offseason? Like, I, I just think that it's very strange. Um, so before I address that, and I, I know we're short on time, so this will be the last thing we talk about, but I did want to get my thoughts out there because obviously the Deshaun Watson thing, you know, everybody's talking about for good reason. Deshaun Watson is a high-profile player, mm-hmm. one of the best quarterbacks in the league regardless of age. The accusations are disturbing. And, you know, reading the detail on some of the lawsuits, at least the information that's being made public. As you said, anytime there's any accusation of, you know, sexual assault or sexual violence or just any crime in general, we have to give it due diligence. And I'm for supporting that. Now, I just want to be clear on where I stand and I'm sure where you stand. I'm a big fan of Sean Watson. And by all accounts, prior to these accusations, never been even a rumor of Deshaun Watson doing anything other than just being a good human being. So just understand that, you know, the news, every time we hear an update, now I think it's up to 12 lawsuits, is it's startling me because I don't know what to think. And, at, you know, I've said this in our group chats that we're in, you know, innocent so proving guilty. And that's not me saying the accusations can't be real. I'm also of the realization that this could happen in Deshaun Washington. We never know what these guys are like behind closed doors. We never know. Like, I mean, if I can, yeah. Antonio Brown seemed like a really nice guy for a really long time. And then it kind of seemed like he went off the rails. Right. And I mean, you even think about guys like Ray Lewis. We talked about could have, I mean, he was never convicted, but this man was accused of murder or, you know, I'm sure there's a formal way of saying it. And then now, even before or even now, it's, you know, very gospel kind of man, you know, motivational speaker, all this. And I mean, you just never... You just never know. Kellen Winslow Jr., I haven't heard a peep out of him since he last played in the NFL, I think it was like 2013. Man was just convicted to prison for, I think, 10 to 20 years for rape and multiple sexual crimes. With all that being said, I don't know what to think. And like you said, we don't have the facts. I just hope. I hope that whatever the truth is, it comes out. I'll put it that way. Now, to the Texans free agency class, I know we have to go. Um, signing Tyrod Taylor really is for one reason, and it wasn't really because of the the civil lawsuits going against Deshaun Watts. It was just because he – apparently it's been reported that he would rather sit out than play another game for the Texans. So Tyrod Taylor is a good guy to have in that situation. I mean, you know – Tyra Taylor, I mean, Andy Dalton, he's kind of like your average quarterback, maybe even a little below average just because Tyra Taylor is not really a – he can pass the ball, but he's a very conservative, very low upside kind of guy. Right. He's your ultimate game manager who never turns the ball over but never really makes a big play. So – the ceiling is low. Christian Kirksey, I like the signing. Um, they do need help at linebacker, so he fits that need. Mark Ingram, even though it's only a, a, a one-year, $3 million deal, was I just don't know why you would sign Mark Ingram when you had Duke Johnson. Right. And then and- you let Duke – Oh, go ahead. Can I say, so if you can't 
run effectively in Baltimore, which is one of the easiest places to run because you know that Lamar Jackson attracts all the attention. What in the hell makes you think Mark Ingram can run in Houston? I'm just saying it doesn't make a lot of sense. Definitely doesn't. I mean, and I mean, that's reflected in the contract. You're only getting paid $3 million. I mean, what is your role really supposed to be? He's just going to be a backup to David Johnson. You know, even David Johnson had to restructure his deal. I think now his base salary is like five or six million. So even he's getting like low running, low starting running back money. But just because probably because of the cap. And obviously David Johnson had an uneven year last year. You know, just he's a shell of his former self. And that's fine. You know, that's just the way the running backs go. You know, you see flashes for like two or three years. We might be seeing that with uh, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott now. They're probably just going to deteriorate from where they are now. But, yeah, overall, it's a eh, free agent class. It's just meh. They signed a bunch of, like, depth pieces. You know what I mean? Like, no one that really – makes an impact for the team. And then when yeah, you add to the that, needles unmoved. they didn't right. They didn't resign Will Fuller. That's probably the biggest thing I take away from the free agency is that they did not resign Will Fuller. So Yeah. I, I think that it's just a, a little bit of a weird allocation of money that they decided Mark Ingram was uh <laughs> worth <laughs> worth signing. But I like Mark Ingram. I just thought that was weird. And then they did also just sign Philip Lindsay, who the um, the Broncos had placed a, a late round tender on, I believe. And then they decided to pretty much pull that back. And he became an unrestricted free agent. And, well, Philip Lindsay lands in Houston, which I don't quite see the fit there either exactly. But be that as it may. Right. It's, as you said, it's a very weird free agent class, but it seems like the kind of class you have when you're not really playing for this upcoming year. You're paying, you're playing for the next year when hopefully the cap rises. And if everything goes right, can go right back to normal. That's what I get from their free agent class. They're playing for next season, not this season. Uh, with that being said, there are many more free agent signings that we have on our list, but obviously because of my insistence on the Carson Wentz rant and obviously trying to go in depth on some of the major signings, we don't have nearly enough time to cover all of them. But just to give you a general gist, and Nick said in the beginning, this is definitely a free agent free agency we haven't seen since 1996 because of the reduced cap, and we see how it's affecting some of the players that are getting signed, such as Kenny Galladay, who I think in any normal year would have been signed already to a 15 to $20 million deal. And right now he's been waiting to get something 18, $18.5 million a year. And we're not sure if he's going to get that. Uh, Nick, before we go, anything else you'd like to say, my man? Uh, just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at full contact pod Sharif. I think we knocked this one out of the park. I'm not going to lie. I wish that Brian would have made, would would have been able to make it through with us, but he was having some connectivity issues. Yeah. You know, it's nice to have Brian on here. Brian, if you're listening to this, I mean, it's 59 minutes in, so you might have turned this off. It's okay. But, you know, we wish Brian was able to continue with us. You know, we're still trying to work out our issues with Zencaster. You know, we appreciate the support team at Zencast for trying to make their product better. Um, we are still having issues with it, but you know, we appreciate any effort they can do to make things smoother and hopefully so we can have a third uh, person on our podcast. Like we intended to before Brian went on his endeavors that we're supportive of. That's pretty much my last thing. Also great for Patrick Peterson to get the contract that he got. Um, because the way it just seems like the way people are talking about him was that he was pretty much done and was just going to get bargain basement. And he got competent money 
for a guy of his caliber. Happy for him. Uh, that'll be it for us for this week, but we promise you'll get more of us next week. Uh, for Nick Sapina, I'm Sharif Phillips-Keaton. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>